verse 12. Acts 5, 12. Now remember, this is still in Jerusalem. Uh, the early church, Jesus had died, rose from the dead, ascended into heaven. The Holy Spirit was given to 120 or so disciples at Pentecost, uh, and then the church just started growing from there. Verse 12. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. That's in the temple area. None of the rest of them dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were healed. So here's kind of the, the scene as we're starting out here. The church is doing well. You know, the, the, God is moving, the Holy Spirit is, is doing things, and people are being saved. So the church is doing very well. Now look at verse 17. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. So again, here we see the church is doing well. God is moving. Now, we're going to see some persecution coming pretty quick here. But, but so far, it's growing. More being added. Last week, we saw how God cares about the purity of his church. He cares that we are being authentic with who we are in him. Uh, you know, not lying or putting on a mask of pretending to be a believer. And here, uh, they're, they're continuing to preach, continuing to grow. And the spiritual leaders, these are the, the Sadducees, um, the, the priests, they arrest them. Now, this is interesting and this is helpful for context. Because we're going to apply this somewhat even now and today and through church history. The first church here, these first Christians, were, were still a Jewish movement. Because Jesus was a fulfillment of the Old Testament. He's a fulfillment of the promises made by the prophets, uh, by Moses, by David, going all the way through. So Christianity really is Judaism completed, or Judaism round two. They were all looking forward to Jesus. So here in Jerusalem, this is still a, a Jewish movement. And we're going to see this as we go through Acts. The church starts to go, how Jewish do we have to be? Because we're going to see Gentiles starting to be added in. It's like, okay, wait. Gentiles, they're not Jews. Do they need to become Jews? And they're going to wrestle with some of that. But here, they're, they're obviously, they're still meeting in the temple. So they're still Jewish. So these leaders, it's, it's still somewhat in their group, if that makes sense. It, this, this is oppression coming from the outside, but it's not completely outside yet. In fact, not the Sadducees, but the Pharisees. You read about the Pharisees in the Gospels, and they get kind of a bad rap, and rightly so, but still the, do the disciples a lot of Pharisees ended up following Jesus. You know, a lot of these religious people became Christians. This first great movement of thousands, they were Jews. So, here's the point. They're now having this serious oppression. They're arrested by who? The religious leaders. And why? I think this is significant. Are they arrested because their doctrine is wrong here? Are they arrested because this Jesus isn't the guy or whatever? They're arrested, it says, because they're jealous. Verse 17, the high priest rose up and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy. The same problem they had with Jesus. 
Jesus was, was gaining followers. Here in Jerusalem, the church is arguably 25% of the population in Jerusalem now. They're jealous. They, they haven't seen this kind of movement among their group in a long time. Now look at church history. Who is it that often comes against the gospel and stifles it? Clergy, pastors, the church. And, and I'm sorry, you know, I'm, I'm pointing right here. I am, I am a pastor. But it's often those within the church that try and stifle it for the same reasons. Jealousy. So this is in your notes. But spiritual leaders often oppose the advance of the gospel because of jealousy. And if you look through history, you know, you'll see a lot of this. Uh, whether it's for money, whether it's for influence. You know, God is doing something and they oppose it because they're going to lose what they have. You know, and I do point this out because in the church, this can happen to us too. So be aware. Be aware of, of what you're doing. Be aware of who you're following. Be aware of who your leaders are. Because we want to go God's way. Now again, as I said, this is still a Jewish movement. But for us, listen, boldly serve God's mission regardless of who opposes you because in him is victory. That's the point I want to make with that. Even if you're within a church, this church, you feel God moving and wanting to do something and there are church people or church leaders saying, no, stomp it down, but God is moving you, you obey God. Now there's some limits on that. I mean, you want to do it wisely according to scripture with counsel. You're not just running off on your own like, hey, I know better than everybody. You know, but get wise counsel. And if it's of God, it will win. So follow him, regardless of who is opposing you. Boldly serve God's mission. Now look at verse 19. So they're arrested. They're put in jail. Uh, but these religious leaders, they want to go home and go to bed. So they just leave them there overnight. Verse 19. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to preach. Now when the high priest came and those who were with them, they called together the council and the senate of the people of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. They're not going to be there. <laughs> because during the night in jail, the, uh, an angel appears. Now, I tried to picture this scene, but we have almost no details of what that was like. You know, they're in there in the prison, they're waiting, an angel appears. You know, does he open the door? Do they just like squeeze through the bar? I don't know. Uh, the guards, are they asleep? Or do they just not see? You know, is it one of those where as they're walking out, Peter sees one of the guards and like goes like this? And, you know, I mean, I don't know. We don't have those details, but this is pretty cool. An angel breaks them out of jail and goes out and then instructs them to continue teaching about this life. Listen, this is one of our big points. You know, trust God, right? Stay calm and obey regardless. We can obey no matter what because he wins, we win. But listen, trust God and obey because he can deliver us from any circumstance. That's what we see here in this part. Trust God because he can deliver you from any circumstance. Now, look at the note there. He can. Does not mean he will. Because if we're following him, we're trusting him, he has complete control. All of the 12 apostles, you know, uh, 11 are, are murdered for it. Well, you got Judas. I don't know what happened to the one that they replaced, but I, I know Paul is eventually killed for it. So there is only one who isn't martyred. 
And that's John, and he's exiled. So my, my point is God can deliver, but he doesn't always. And we have this problem in the church of the prosperity gospel, that if God is, you know, if you're following him well, you have this faith, you're going to be healthy, you're going to be wealthy, you know, everything's going to go well for you. That's not what we see in God's word. But we can trust him because as you see here, he can deliver you from any circumstance. I mean, we could, we could call a timeout now and probably spend two hours and of you telling stories of God showing up in miraculous ways. You know, of times where, where there was no, no work, no food, whatever, and you come home, and there's a bag of groceries, and you were, you're wondering how you're going to eat that day. I mean, we can all probably, a lot of us, tell those stories. God can deliver us from any circumstance. Doesn't mean he will, but it does mean we can trust him in every circumstance. We can trust him. Because if it's best, he will deliver. He will send an angel or whatever and, and bust us out of jail. But why are they released? I love this. God's word is so good. Why are they released? Verse 20. They're told, uh, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. You remember Jesus. One of the times when he shared his mission statement, he said, I came that they have life and have it abundantly. Again, we're not talking prosperity gospel, but this is life. Now, uh, it was years ago, I remember kind of discovering this study, and, and I just love this picture. This word life, there's several Greek words for life. One is bios, biological you know, life. This is a different one. This one means full life, full spiritual life, and just everything is full and, and great. You know, not, I, I mean, I, I do like the picture of sitting on a beach with a corona, and you're like, this is the life. You know, and it, it's, it has that, but more, but fuller. You know, it's not a selfish life, but it's a full, complete life in partnership with God where, I mean, everything is just right. You know what I'm talking about? That's what this is talking about. He says, so go preach this life. It's just a meaty word, deep, significant, awesome. Go preach this life, not just conversion. You get that? Don't go tell people just so we can build our church. Don't go save people because we need more money. Whatever, no. Go tell people about this life because Jesus, God in flesh, died on the cross to give this life. He wants it for us. And so here, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. This is the win, all right? We can have confidence because what we win, I think here's the first part of that victory is life here and now. Life, here and now. What does that mean? In Galatians 5, and we're not going to turn there, but go do the study. In Galatians 5, we see the fruit of the Spirit. And it talks about if we're walking in the Spirit, if we're abiding, that's in John chapter 15, if we abide with Christ, then, then He produces this life in us. This life isn't something we go produce on our own by our effort. It's in, as we rely on God, the Holy Spirit produces this in us. And it gives us the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those are pretty cool things. A lot of those, as you see the fruit of the Spirit, and by the way, if you study that, it's not fruits. It's fruit, meaning as you walk with him, you get all of them as a package. Um, and if you're not in a group, go to group this week. We're going to talk about it. And a lot of those are relational, meaning he wants us to be in relationship with one another. Um, but the first few there are love, joy, peace. Joy and peace, those are pretty personal. Those are pretty internal. You know, joy, biblical joy, it's, it's a happiness 
But it's way deeper than that. It's not a happiness based on circumstances. It's a, it's a happiness despite circumstances. That is joy, and he gives us this joy. The abundant life Jesus offers is full of peace and joy despite worldly circumstances. This is significant. If you want this life, if, if you're an American, you know, you know, and you have this American dream, what, what are we all striving for with the American dream? You know, money, uh, success, whatever. We want these things. And, and those aren't all bad things. By the way, the Bible doesn't say money's bad. It says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. But why do we want money? Well, security, right? You know, and to get some of those things, why do we want health, peace? What if we could have all these things but not in a worldly way. In the world, people are striving for a good thing, but they're trying to get it in the wrong way. Whereas God says, I'll give you those things freely. Just follow me. Just come to me. Again, joy, peace. In Matthew 6, 33, uh, in that whole section in, in Matthew, it says, why do you worry about what you're going to eat, where you're going to sleep, what you're going to wear? And he gives examples. You know, look at the birds. They're not hungry. Look at the flowers. They're clothed. Why do you worry? He says, you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and I'll give you all these other things that you need, as long as you need them. You know, I've shared this story before, and so if you've been here a while, you've heard it, but other people haven't, so deal with it. Um, in, in 08, um, I was in construction, and that's when everything just stopped. You know, and I was, you know, I felt... Whatever happens, I'm going to work hard and, and figure it out. You know, one of those stupid pride things, I guess. And life happened, and we didn't have work, and we couldn't pay our mortgage. And so it's one of those, I, and I was doing everything I could. I mean, I would get in my truck and just drive around. Anything looks like somebody's working. I'd pull over. Can I help? You, you know, I just, I was doing everything I could and coming up empty. Empty. And, of course, you know, the result is, what's wrong with me? And, I mean, all this stupid, selfish, whatever stuff. And I remember where I was. I was walking through my driveway, and God kind of said, stop, you know, and kind of lifted up a, a, a mirror in front of me and said, what do you see? You see somebody who's stressed, worry, anxious over this stuff, but what have I already promised you, Derek? You're my son, right? You belong to me. Yeah, you follow me. I'm first. Yeah. Well, I've already told you I'll give you what you need. So get over yourself and trust me. I never told you you'd be eating steak and corn on the cob. I never told you you'd be in a, a good, comfy, warm house. You might be, you know, eating locusts under a tree, but you'll have shelter and you'll have food, whatever it is. And, and it gave me peace. I didn't have money, <laughs> but I had peace. And I think God gave that because he knew today I'd be teaching on it and he needed to give me a real life lesson. But of the life I want to give you is not based on worldly circumstances. It, it's based on who I am and who I am to you and for you. So now, let's move on. Man, preachers can just go, can't they? <laughs> Look at verse, uh, well, we're going to skip through verse 21 through 27. Because uh, 21 to 27, we see, you know, the religious leaders are like, hey, go get them. They come back. They're not there. It's like, well, where are they? Oh, they're, they're preaching again. They're doing exactly what we told them not to do. And so we're going to pick this up in 27. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying, we strictly charge you not to teach in this name. Yet here you are, filling Jerusalem with your teaching. 
and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at the right hand as the leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. I mean, this is a great summary of the gospel. You know, they say, hey, stop preaching in this name. They're like, whose name? Oh, Jesus? You, you mean the one that Yahweh sent? Your God and my God, the one who's been the God of our fathers, that one? You mean the one that you killed and God raised from the dead? You mean the Jesus who, because he raised from the dead, died and raised, we can all have forgiveness and repentance and life? In it? You mean him? Well, he tells us to keep, he just busted us out of jail. We just saw an angel this morning. You ever seen an angel? He busted us out of jail. We're going to obey God, not you. But this picture right here is so beautiful. This is who our God is. This is where it all comes down. You want this life? This is how it was purchased. So we def we're defining this abundant life. But here, how do we get the life? Not through your good works. Sorry. Not through you being awesome. Through Jesus. Jesus died, Jesus rose, and Jesus freely gives. Access to this life is already won by Jesus, our Prince and Savior. So stay calm and obey. Stay calm and obey. He's purchased it for us. <laughs> and they say, you know, we need to obey God, not you. What happens? Verse 33. I mean, you think, like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. You should obey God, not us. Verse 33. When they heard this, they're enraged and wanted to kill him. They're jealous they're not obeying him, fine, we just need to kill him. They're to kill Jesus, and they're going to kill somebody else coming up pretty quick here. We're going to look at that next week. But here, they, they come against him. Now, look at verse 34. A man is going to raise up in their midst. Um, let me just read these verses. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up, and he gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. This guy had a reputation, just so you know. Later, Paul, who was Saul, uh, the Apostle Paul, the greatest missionary the church has probably ever seen, he was a student of Gamaliel. And he used it on his resume, as in, look how great I am. Basically, I'm a student of Gamaliel. That's who's speaking here. So he has weight. 35. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care what you do, what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Thaddeus rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census, and he drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. Good advice. But here's the thing. He got one part wrong and he got one part right. What did Gamaliel get wrong? He says, if it's not of God, it'll disappear. I wish that were true. Islam has been around for 1,500 years. It's not of God. The Mormon church has been around since, I think, 1840. It's not of God. So something enduring is not proof that it's of God, which means we need to study. We need to look. We need to be in that. But the second part that he said is true. If it is of God, it will succeed. 
Verse 39, if it's of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. Somebody said something similar to this. Uh, this guy, Jesus, he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. I think here goes to the second part of the victory that we have in Christ. The first is this life here and now, which isn't going to be a posh life necessarily. The second part is life eternal. As Jesus followers, we have complete victory for eternity. That's why we can go through the troubles in this life with our eyes on the end. Maybe you've heard it said, oh, that person is so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. Well, hopefully we're so heavenly minded, we are of extreme earthly good. We're so heavenly minded, we lay our lives down here for God and for others. That's what happens when we understand the gospel, when we understand we win, we're free. We're free to obey. We're free to go. We're free to lay down our lives. We're free to not succeed by the worldly standards. And what happens to these guys? Verse 40, And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them, and they charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple, and from the house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Okay, let's go back to the first life. You know, Zoe, here and now, they're beaten, and they walk away rejoicing. That's the life I'm talking about. Can you suffer in this life for Christ or, or not for Christ, not for your sin, hopefully, um, but can you suffer and rejoice in that? That's one of the great themes of the New Testament. That's the life we're talking about. But looking forward to the end, we can rejoice in persecution, persecution, and suffering because our eternal hope is secure in Christ. Done. I mean, this is what I've been praying, that we would understand today that the Holy Spirit would grab our heart to say, is there any piece of you you're holding back? Don't. We win. We win. It's like the 1998 Super Bowl. We know who won, the Broncos, if you didn't get that. We win. We win. So hold nothing back. Give your whole life away to Christ. You are free for people to hate you if you're loving him well. You are free to give away your money. You are free to give away your time. You're free to obey whatever he has. Trust, obey, and follow Jesus because he won, we win. Now there's another point here. This is kind of a, a side note. But this, this stuck out to me as I was studying this and I was reading the exegetical commentary uh, written in 2012. And there's a comment here that just kind of hit me in the head for us right here and now. Let's see if this hits you. Speaking of civil disobedience, it says, The apostles do not mobilize the thousands of believers for a march on the Sanhedrin in order to pressure them to make faith in Jesus legal. But they do disobey the policy of the Sanhedrin that nobody may, may teach about Jesus as Israel's Messiah. That wasn't written in today's context. You know, right now with all this government stuff, my, my point is not that I mean, we should vote. We're blessed as Americans. But where's our hope? Is our energy toward changing government? Or is it toward the kingdom of God? You never see the apostles organize any kind of political movement. You don't. And I'm not saying Christians shouldn't be part of that. Absolutely. We're blessed in this country to be able to be part of that. We should vote. We should do, do those things. But are we putting more energy and, and mental energy? Here's a test for you. Is your mental energy on Fox News or some other news? Or is it on, on God? Is your hope on God or is it on, on the politics? 
here, they suffered. They suffered for it, but they trusted God. My point, every Christian should put greater effort into obeying God than in politics. We'll just leave it with that. Are you living as if you know it's true? Are you living as if you know we win because Jesus won? Are you holding anything back? Is there anything you need to change? You know, again, if I could find a DeLorean, go back to 1998, I'd bet on the Broncos. At, and even now, if I could go back in time in my early life and change some things, I would. But guess what? We don't live in the past. And so I'm not going to worry about my past, but I'm going to look at my future. And at the end of my life, I want to stand before Jesus and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. I don't want to hear, man, I had this one thing, but you were so selfish you missed it. I'm probably going to hear some of those. But I don't want to hear very many of those. Is there anything in your life you're holding back from him? You don't need to, because we win, because he won. Now, of course, my, my mind goes to application. All right, what's that, what's that mean? And I would boil it down. It's between you and God, but if, if there's one thing or two things, you know, we, you got this coming in, but if you don't know where to start, that's partly why the church exists, to help one another. We want to help you. You know, fill out this Connect card. But I would say, are, are you serving Join a serve team. Are you in community? Join a group. Those are kind of the first steps of going all in with Christ is getting involved with what he's doing. And then he'll lead you beyond that. You know, a lot of times he's not going to show us this, this thing over here until we obey these little things. So that's where I would encourage you. Are you serving? How are you serving? Are you in community? And if you need help figuring those things out, fill out this Connect card and we'll get a hold of you. We want to help you with that. Again, that's why the church exists. Or if you're here and you've never placed your faith in Jesus as Lord, let today be the day. Jesus died for you. You don't have to be good. Now, after you give your life to him, he's going to change you so you want to be good, and he's going to work on that, but you don't need to get cleaned up before you come to Jesus. It's not going to work. Come to him. Believe he died. Believe he rose from the dead, and he will give you this life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the securing of our victory in you. God, I, I know I, I say this often in my own prayers and, and here at church, but God, I am so glad it's not based on our works. I am so glad it's not based on religion because there would be no peace in that. God, if it was based on what I do day to day, there would be no peace. One day I might do well and be proud of myself, and the next day I would do bad and, and, and fear hell. But because it's based on Jesus, what you did, and you said it is finished, I thank you for the peace that you give I thank you for the joy that you give, God. I, I believe uh, you're doing some great things here at Common Ground, in our area, and in our country. I think you're doing some great things even around the world. God, we want to be part of it. God, we want you to glorify yourself in us. We want to see more people saved, more people grown. We want to see marriages healed. We want to see kids falling deeply in love with you, all for your glory. God, if there's anything getting in the way of those things happening, of us being sold out to you. Let us give them to you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, as we respond in worship, I want to point you to our prayer walls. Uh, we have these kind of chicken wire here. If you want to just go write down a prayer, it can be a praise or a request. Stick it in there. Give that to God. You know, we have these other praise walls we put up a couple weeks ago, and we're leaving those up. You could write on a marker. If you want to come pray with me for anything at all, I'm going to be in the back right. Just come see me. I'd love to pray with you. Let's worship.